I saw a small teenage girl asleep in the corner while I was doing a cut and blow. Of course I didn't. Are you thick? Oh, here he is. Have we got anybody else staying over tonight? Or shall I get the place on Airbnb? Yeah, I've just had a call from Laura. She's in the police station. Well, yeah, I needed a crime number, didn't I? If I'm going to claim this on insurance. You do realise that she's going to have an actual record now? Well, she shouldn't have trashed the salon then, should she? Maria, she is in a really bad place at the moment. Well, it's not as bad as here. Have you seen the back room? There's brown hair dye all over the show. It looks like a dirty protest. The talk of the street. 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 Welcome to episode 270 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catcher podcast that's got to the stage where it would bite your hand off for a good old-fashioned religious cult storyline whose name is an anagram of the current showrunner. I'm Gammon. Hail Cthulhu. <laughs> Fair enough. Your microphone is... Wonky. Couldn't, couldn't be less pointing at your face if it tried. There we go. It's a wonky donkey. There you go. How are you? I'm Apart all... from hailing Cthulhu. I'm alright. We lost trivia. <laughs> because the answer wasn't Cthulhu. It wasn't Cthulhu. That's correct. Yeah, More's the pity. We're recording this on a Thursday night and have just come back from Thursday night trivia. Yeah. Me thinking, you know, we weren't going to go to trivia because we had this podcast to record because we can't do it tomorrow. Because football. Because American football, but not American football because band playing at halftime at American football. Yeah, marching band. So we'll record this on Thursday. And isn't it nice that Coronation Street is airing its Friday episode a day earlier to accommodate Staley playing in right. the, the halftime show? And also rugby. And, uh, yeah, well, that's not as funny though. No. <laughs> um, and we weren't going to go to trivia. Because we've got this to do, and it's just been such a awful week of busyness. Yeah, I'm like, you know, let's go, let's go for an hour and a half and enjoy trivia, and then we'll come home and, and we'll be busy home, again. And then we'll come home and can't be bothered doing this. Right, make it a far bigger pain in the ass than it would have been an hour and a half ago. Correct. So, the best laid plans. How of are you otherwise? Life and men. Yeah, just kind of. Like you, feeling run off my feet. I mean, between school starting up and the kids just getting thrust into their many activities and everything, and me just desperately trying to get this auction done. Oh, hold on. Auction talk. Yeah. I know. don't think I'm even saying auction talk anymore. You, you just did. And I think I said, auction <laughs> talk. Close enough. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm working on this, what I'm calling the children's room auction. And it has a Halloween section in it. So I really want it to get out to start and end in time for people who buy some of the Halloween stuff to be able to get it shipped in time for Halloween. And it's very stressful because I was out for a whole week because of sickness and severe thunderstorms and tornadoes. 
So I'm kind of running off my feet trying to get all of this stuff done. And, you know, it was a week where I got bogged down in Amazing Spider-Man comics. And then today I was working on a big, massive dollhouse and dollhouse furniture. And it's just, and I have a client who was supposed to bring me stuff, but now he's kind of being a hard ass and trying to negotiate a better percentage and everything. And my boss is so knee deep in the gun auction that he keeps not calling this guy back. And it's always stressful around gun auction time because it's just, it's stressful to be in a room with like 400 guns. It just is. That's stressful. Even Mm. though they're all unloaded and at least this time, none of them are pointed at me. It's stressful. Guns. Well, you would move to America. <laughs> oh, no, that was me that did that. Yes. I said I'd move to Scotland or Canada. Let, let's go for Canada. Let's <laughs> baby steps. Baby steps. How was your week? Uh, well, we've already talked about stress. Uh, yeah, and mine is basically because... We had a, a holiday on Monday, and four day weeks are always just the worst. Yes, I worked on Labor Day, so I am I am a disgrace. To oh, we're back talking about you again. Oh, yes, I'm fascinating. <laughs> That's what I should have said. Shall we preamble, my dear? <laughs> yes, please. Give us some of that so selfish Corey news. <laughs> The NTAs were this week, and Corey was shut out of all of the categories they were nominated for. Color me surprised. But they all looked gorgeous. They did. They all looked gorgeous. That was a very good red carpet. Yes, yes. And the morning show also got shut out by the repair shop, and that makes me happy. Even though Netflix hasn't had a new season of the repair shop on it for ages. And they need to do that because I love the repair shop. I think it's on every day in the UK. Yeah. Come on, Netflix. It's one of those daytime TV, right? put this on and kind of fall asleep sort of shows. Yeah, it's very cozy. Mm-hmm. I love the repair shop. I love watching people repair the sort of things that I sell. And Young Sheldon won. Yes, I which was, is hilarious. I was very disappointed for Ghosts. Yeah. And kind of disappointed for British comedy. Yeah. Because British comedy is kind of good and... I quite like Young Sheldon. No, no, no harm to it, but I think I'd have been happier with Ghost winning that. Was anybody from Young Sheldon at the awards show? No, because of the strike. Right. Well, I wasn't sure if British Television Awards would be affected by the strike, but I know that they're all picketing. Maybe they they just couldn't be bothered. Well, there is and that just too. Say there was a strike. Right. I think I'd have done that. I'm always curious about that sort of thing, about, you know, when American things get nominated for things that aren't the BAFTAs. Yeah, but Corey won nothing. Nothing. And I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm most upset for Shanique because I think she should have won. I don't know the dude who, who won the Rising Star Award, but she should have won it. I don't know. I mean, if this is a football team and this is winning nothing at a, a major award ceremony, you you start to think that maybe some changes are going to be made to that football team, like maybe the manager's going to get, get changed. And I don't know, there's been something about this week that was just 
I was just at so much of an effort that, you know, when the NTA is happening, I'm like, you know, I am not in the least bit surprised because uh, there's so many of these storylines I don't really care don't about. Really care about. Yeah. We'll and get so to many that. of these storylines. And, and we'll talk about those storylines for an hour and a half. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they just all feel kind of recycled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Barely held my attention this week. Moving on. Uh, John Stevenson, a writer for the show for over 40 years, who worked on like 447 episodes. That's impressive. It is. Has died at the age of 86. Yeah, that's a wee shame. I mean, we have our favourite, or I have my favourite writers. Mm -hmm. I see my favourite writers' names come up and it's like, okay, this is going to be a funny one, or this is going to be... It's going to be well structured. There's going to be something in here that, that I'm going to I'm going to love, and and he was one of those names from from yesteryear. Um, a really part of the part of the furniture at Coronation Street. That's a, a sad loss. Yes, yes. And finally, Simon Gregson has opened up to Lorraine Kelly about his 20 year fight with his anxiety disorder. He has revealed he has an anxiety disorder. Bravo, Simon. More men should speak frankly about. Mental health. Yeah, he was talking about how it took the longest time for it to be diagnosed. Like right. they didn't know what it was. They thought it was maybe vertigo or something. Right. So when you're having a panic attack and you don't know that it's a panic attack, it just makes it so much worse. Right. Simon was talking about like fourteen panic attacks in a day, which I, I can't imagine. I find just horrifying. Yeah, just how do you deal with that? Yeah. Because this. This is something that means that you can't act normally. Right. Or it's very, very hard to. So if that's happening pretty much the entire day. Oh, jeez. Yeah. That's pretty tough stuff. Absolutely. And that's Quarry News. That's Quarry News. And that brings us on to our feedback section that we affectionately call Everyone's a Critic. Trisha wrote in this week with what I am... Tempted to call Star Letter. This is this week's Star Letter. Is it good? Do I win five pounds? Your five pounds is in the post. It's mm-hmm. not really. No. Trisha writes, I'm listening to you talk about Jamie Kenner's other roles and had to share this. I watched Cory with my husband and now he's actually a bigger fan than me. He recently got a new job and was at home watching the mandatory HR video where none other than Phil with two L's <laughs> played the main part of the new hire. And she's written full with two L's, bless her heart. <laughs> Leading the viewer along all the anti-discrimination slash harassment slash corporate culture HR stuff. We were excited. But what does one do with that information? Thankfully, I can tell the talk of the street and share. Thank you so much, Trisha. Do you that re- did give me a giggle. Do you remember um, like one of our HR videos at, at the place where you were employed and I used to be employed? One of the one of the supposedly stock photos they used was one of those fake stock photos that had Will Ferrell and and Casey Affleck in it from that yes office movie that they did yes that was hilarious. We've got new people to do that now. Good, they do a good job. <laughs> and then John Giovanacci wrote in. Uh, he says there actually has been a Chinese character before. Her name was Shin, and she was a friend of Tina's. We got mixed up in a fake wedding to Graham, who was Tina's boyfriend at the time, so that she could get residency. Her and Graham, who were both good characters, ended up falling in love and went away together, never to be seen or mentioned again. Yes. 
It's a love story for the ages. Thank you very much, John, and thank you, Trisha, for writing in this week. Feedback is always welcome. Send us your thoughts, and I will probably read them out. Get us at thetalkersheet at gmail.com, and our DMs are always open at Corey Podcast. And now let's podcast for coffee. take a run at this <clears throat> thanks to Kiwi Blair lose yourself to the peerless running rugby of the most winning team in the history of sport the mighty New Zealand All Blacks for our coffees this week <laughs> so I guess no hard feelings about my incredulousness about New Zealander rugby last week Corey versus the Rugby World Cup opening game featuring New Zealand and France no contest enjoy <laughs> your coffees and go the mighty All Blacks Thank you very much, <laughs> Kiwi Blair, for that. I love New Zealanders. I really do. I have never seen or met or heard a New Zealander that I didn't like. Eminem. That is me now supporting the All Blacks in the Absolutely. Rugby World Cup. In a competition that I believe Scotland is involved in. <gasps> America's and, not, though. And thank you so much. Kiwi Blair for your kind donation this week. It's very kind of you. We will certainly enjoy our coffees. The Talk of the Street is and always will be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. But if you think a show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. You can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link where for as little as two bucks a month, you can get a mention in the closing credits of each and every episode. And remember, you can always support the podcast for free and get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. Where do you get your podcasts, Helen? Apple Podcasts. There you go. And I'm, a, now, I'm a basic bitch. And now this. No! <laughs> no. We've just done that. <laughs> I've already done that. I've fallen and I can't get up. I don't think I have that anymore. I think I replaced it with... John Doe has the upper hand. Yeah. But don't we actually... Oh, no. I've fallen, and I can't get up. We're sending help immediately, Mrs. Fletcher. Mrs. Fletcher is dead now. (laughs) Yeah. She was dead before she made the call, let's face it. (laughs) And now, this... Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about overwhelming smell of urine. Was this the uh, the little memorial park that Sally peed in? And it smells like urine now? That's year right. round? This was Tim's sex therapist who came into the cab office, embarrassed Tim, and then talked about the last time she used a phone box where she found an overwhelming smell of urine. I was Gavin, and you did not spit on Chris Pine. I didn't. Kind of wish I did. That's your story, and you're sticking to it. And neither did Harry Styles. Wasn't there a goat involved in this? (laughs) There was a goat. Was there? I think there was a meme with a goat in it. I had no idea what this was Hmm. all about. I thought it was Kevin Bacon who had goats. He's got goats on his farm. I know Richard Gere's got gerbils. (laughs) He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. Urban any, legend. Not anymore. He's not allowed to. 
Anyway, we were a bit shook up because we were recording on a Wednesday because we were off to see Echo and his Bunnyman at the Fillmore. That's right. That was last year. Echo and the Bunnyman. <laughs> yeah, his New Zealand Bunnyman. <laughs> Thanks again for that, Chris. Yes, that one. Yes. I don't know if he still listens to this anymore. I don't know if he does. Let's just assume that he doesn't. It was a strange wee night at Trivia as the waitress went full-on crazy tonto mental. This was my first bar brawl. Remember that? We went to that. That was that night. And then we came back and did a podcast. And now that that crazy-ass waitress is the manager of the restaurant. Yeah, she got promoted. Good for her. <laughs> Good for her for, you know... Tried to rip the hair out of a teenager. I guess it just goes to show, Helen, that there's two sides to every story. Right, and violence is always the answer. (laughs) When Sam's chess workshop is a bust, Hope promises to help him be popular and cool. While Jenny tries to keep a lid on her secret, Stephen has worries of his own when a familiar accent makes a reappearance. Ken and Wendy become closer as they prepare for the amateur dramatic play. The street is a powder keg as Nadim Atala arrives at the factory to sign a lucrative deal. Tim's impotence inadvertently leads to a tragic event on a football pitch. Aggie still can't cook. Brian is a martyr to his knees. And Peter would love to join in. Wasn't it the sex therapist who had a thing for donkeys? Is that one? Is that what we're thinking about as opposed to Chris Pine's goats or Kevin Bacon's goats? Wasn't there something about, didn't, doesn't she, didn't the sex, the sex therapist have something to do with uh, a donkey rescue? Somebody had something to do with a donkey rescue. Oh, somebody had something to do with a donkey rescue. <laughs> but it wasn't Kevin Bacon. Our moment of the week was Bernie backing up Dev to Asha and Addy, and our boring moment of the week was boring, boring football chat. <laughs> And that was Coronation Street and the Talk of the Street this time last year. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with this week's recap. And we're back. Now we're recording this on a Thursday so sadly there will be no jokes this week. And that brings us on to this week's Hard Debate. Now I'm going to announce this week's Hard Debate and then we'll come back and we'll talk about the results at the end. But this week's hard debate was I asked, out of all the storylines that are currently ongoing in Coronation Street, how many of them are capturing your interest at the moment? All of them, most of them, some of them, or none of them? Eminem. Eminem. <laughs> There's only so many Eminems we can do in one episode. So our first storyline, we'll come back to that. So yes. our first storyline is racist love triangle. Is oh. it really a love triangle when... Nobody loves one of the corners. <laughs> Good point. And when I say nobody, I mean nobody. On Monday, it's Max's first day of college, and while David is proud, Max is very lackadaisical about the whole thing, but he's back chatting with Sabrina now that Racist Kelly is off the scene. And in his roles, Max catches up with Racist Kelly, who the show has remembered works there. Bravo show. Well done. Max heads off to college with Racist Kelly's best wishes. But when he gets home, it turns out that he's not too convinced that further education is for him and David is appalled. College is a stepping stone, plus he has to go there. But Max has his sights set on an apprenticeship in media because those are ten a penny. Max goes to speak with Gav about this life decision and then Sabrina turns up, takes a piss out the pair of them for a bit and then she and Max go off for a bag of chips. And it seems at this point that 
they're all just friends. Yes. Right? They're all just yes. friends. And we're just really happy to see Gav and Sabrina back. Yes. We love them. We especially love Gav. More Gav. No, Give Gav his own storyline. I don't think I particularly appreciate Sabrina. I think the two of them would prefer her. Yeah. Gav still. did something this week that I didn't appreciate. And we'll get to that. Hmm. On Wednesday, Nina Rolls shown as annoyed by Max's attitude to college when racist Kelly comes in late for her shift. She tells Max how much she enjoyed chatting with him the other day and asks to hang out. I've got college, says Max, and he heads off. But what racist Kelly hears is, I want to have your babies. <laughs> At the precinct, Max is hanging out with Gavin and Sabrina and they're all having fun and eating ice cream when racist Kelly, who, wasn't she at work? She was at work. Comes round the corner and sees the, the crowd of them and she quickly hides and pulls up her hoodie and overhears Max and Sabrina insist that they're not an item when Gav winds them up about it. Right, yeah, and they're being adorable together. <laughs> Later, Sabrina and Gav go to Nina's roles where racist Kelly has miraculously got back to her shift. And racist <laughs> Kelly wastes no time in telling Sabrina how much of the sex she and Max have been having lately. Sabrina, at no point, is, does she rise to the bait of this. No. Gav looks appalled. Right, yeah. Sabrina's just, yeah, well, and whatever. They, and they both order Americanos. I don't know why I didn't believe that. Because they're kids. Kids can like coffee. Well, yeah, but they like like their frothy coffee or their pumpkin spice lattes. Americanos, those are for, you know, businessmen who have given up cocaine. Is that the rule? <laughs> and our friend Steve. Our friend Steve orders Americanos, doesn't he? Does he? He used to when that when that Mexican restaurant used to be a coffee shop. And he and I would meet up to talk about SEO. Oh, God, I remember you used to do that. That was ages ago. It was ages ago. Oh, yeah. I'm in uh, uh, Frappuccinos at the moment. You are. And uh, mochas. I haven't had a pumpkin spice latte yet. I'm ashamed of myself. It's September. It's September 7. You should have been full of the pumpkin spice by now. Seriously. It's the 20-year anniversary of pumpkin spice lattes. So young. <laughs> so Sabrina goes to number eight to have it out with Max, telling him all the accusations of all the sex that racist Kelly made. Max denies it, and Sabrina believes him. But this is a weird situation for her, and maybe he and racist Kelly make sense in a racist sort of way. So she says, you know what, I'm going to back out of this. And she leaves, and Max is crushed. Right, and it's kind of weird, because he's like, no, I have absolutely no interest in this girl. I do not want to date this girl. I want to date you. Mm-hmm. And her response to that is, well, maybe you should want to date her because she's racist. And then she leaves. Right. It's weird. It's good that she believes him, though. Yeah. It was, it was interesting, I guess, that that was where the, the little bit of drama was coming from, that it wasn't the fact that she didn't believe him and that she did believe racist Kelly, because of course she wouldn't. But it's the, oh, this is just too much like hard work and I can't be bothered. And I think that that's a great decision for her to make. My problem with it was, we've done this already. Right, that's what I'm saying. That's, yeah, yeah. And this isn't, the, this isn't the first time, this isn't the only time this week where I said to myself, wait a second, haven't we been here already? Yeah, they could have lifted her leaving number eight from a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago and, and 
just pasted it in. It was just the same kind of mm-hmm. conversation. Where you know, I like. I think she said the last time. You know, you're cute and I like you, but this is just too much hard work. Too much for me. Too too much. Too many complications. And she was saying exactly the same thing mm-hmm. and reacting in exactly the same way. So you while I believed her, it was come on now. Can we do? Because remember George and Eileen. I was about ready to say. Just, I was about ready to say. You know, this reminds me of. It's it's Eileen and the Undertaker all over again. Right. Mrs. Kelly is finishing her shift when Max comes in to have it out with her, and he accuses her of lying. She thinks it's him who lied, given that he didn't go to college like he said he was going to, and he explains that he said that to be nice and recommends that she tries being nice sometime. He wants nothing more to do with her, and he leaves. Racist Kelly reckons that she's better off without him. Nina tries to distract Racist Kelly with mopping the floor and then invites her to a drink at the Rovers' as friends. Friends, says Racist Kelly. She doesn't want to have the whole I see myself in you chat, so she knocks Nina back. There are plenty more lads out there for me, she insists with her crop top. God, it's so ridiculous though because she's like, she's crying all the time how so very alone she is. Mm-hmm. And how she's alone in the world, and how no one cares about her. Right. But with, but when someone who she doesn't want to have sex with offers to help her and offers to be kind to her, she's just like, "Nah, I'm not about that life." Right. I'm out. So, back to the precinct. Gav is super pissed with Max, so pours a bottle of water over his head. And this was the bit that I didn't like. Was that supposed to be slapstick? Was it supposed to be cute? I think it was supposed to be a big brother sticking up for his sister. Then I didn't have a problem with then it. Then punch him. No, because we yell at the show every time somebody punches somebody. We do. But this thing, well, name in the notes. Gav is so much taller than Max. It would be physically impossible for him to knee him in the newts unless he kneeled down and kneed him in the newts. How can, how can you... Knee someone the notes if you're kneeling down. Well, because you have two knees. Oh, that's just one is holding, one is balancing your body, and one is kneeing in the newts. I can't see it. That's too wonky, donkey. <laughs> that's the second. It was just the pouring of the water thing. Was just really. I don't know. Am I just in a bad mood with this? I don't know because it was like. Yeah. It was I'm... just. It was just like the lamest punchline to a joke, and then he pours a drink over his head. You know, it was No, because you know, this this happens this happens when you're pissed off at somebody and you've got a drink in your hand, you throw the drink at them. It's just that he had a bottle of water and not a rose. We didn't even like throw it. Like, throw That's that drink. Because he's taller than Max. So if he oh, threw he's, he's the got drink, nothing to do with throwing if, a drink. If he threw the drink, it would go right over Max's head. He can aim down. Because that's that's tall, a thing. Aiming down's a thing. Dump it on his head. People do that. It's fine. It's fine. It's Ugh, fine. Anyway. We don't want Gav to punch people. So Max explains that he doesn't want to be with anyone else except Sabrina. And Gav melts and he and Max winch passionately while Sabrina watches. That might not have happened. Kinda wish it did. Sabrina and Max are an item again. Yay! They're at his place posting selfies and talking about showering naked together for the sex. Shona comes in, pleased to see Sabrina there, and she takes it as a cue to head home. That's Sabrina, that is, because Shona's already home. Meanwhile, 
racist Kelly is living at the salon, sees the selfies on her phone and decides to trash the hairdressers in a fit of upset and rage. But we don't care about this because racist Kelly's redemption arc is pretty much non-existent and she hasn't done anything to repair the damage she did or even apologise to Alia or anything like that. Nope. She's a horrible character. Why is she here? Right. Didn't we have enough of this? Seriously. I thought I thought we'd already well established. And she went away. And why is she back? And if the show wants us to be interested, then give us something to care about here. Because we don't care about her because she is awful. This is a problem with her. It's And the problem that I think is that maybe the show thinks that she's had a redemption arc because she had an unsatisfying childhood. Right, and used sex to appease angry bigger men. men. Yes. Yeah. And But that's not where the redemption comes from. The redemption the, comes from, from her, writing wrongs. Right. And, and she hasn't done that. No. And there really hasn't been anything except for her saying that this happened. We haven't seen her confront anyone that did this to her. We haven't seen her confront her dad about allowing this sort of thing to happen. Because you know her dad knew that this was happening. Mm -hmm. Because her dad and Griff are the ones who sent her to have sex with Max to get him in the cult. Mm -hmm. So... As I know it's not really a cult, but it's kind of a cult. It's it's a non-religious a cult. It's, it's a racist cult. But, um, yeah, so the show has not really given us anything to make us care about this person. And she's not the only newish character on the show that this is a problem. No, th- this is a with. problem across the board, really. Yeah. You know, and it's like every time... Every time that maybe something could happen where we might feel sympathy for her, she ruins it. Like telling Sabrina she's having all the sex with Max. Mm-hmm. It's like, really? Really, show? This This is what you think is going to make us sympathetic to this crazy bunny burner sort of character? Bunny boiler? Yes, bunny boiler. Thank you. But I think the bunny could also be burned. Yes. Or grilled. Or flambéed. Or, or broiled. As, yes. That's popular over here. Or turn it over on a stick. Ooh. Bunny on a stick. Bunny on a stick. Yeah, this this is a this is a, a trait that that currently is really part of the the whole issue thing that yeah. that, that I'm having and I think yeah. other people are having. I'm having. That the the, the too many characters thing means too many new characters, which means too many characters who haven't had a chance to to become interesting or um, or or needy or or desperate or have any sort of interesting quality about them that makes us want to care about right. them, well, either she, positively or negatively. Yeah, she is needy and desperate, but because she's acting out on her neediness and desperation in ways that negatively affects characters we do like yeah. and characters we're sort of starting to warm back up to like Max mm-hmm. you know it's like it's, it's like she's ruining his redemption arc in all of this 
you know? And it's one thing to maybe slow down Max's redemption arc and not, and not pretend that all, everything is all fine again. Right. But it's another thing to just totally train wreck Max's redemption arc by throwing a horrible person into his life. Yeah, and it who comes, he inexplicably can't let go of, even though he can't stand her. Which comes up on Thursday, and again, just made me feel exactly the same way. Yes. So Thursday at number eight, David is still pissed that Max doesn't want to go to college, and so insists that he earns his keep or gets an apprenticeship. Max was going to ask Roy for a job at the cafe, but David says that's not really an apprenticeship. He's not buying it, and tells him he can work for him at the salon, gives him the keys, and tells him to go tidy the place up. And also, does he really think that's a good idea to work at the same place that racist Kelly is working? I know. That was such a weird... A weird, a weird choice, right? Yeah. I'm trying to distance myself from her, but I'll go and work next to her. Right, yeah. How's that going to work out? Yeah. Maybe go work for your crying uncle at the bistro instead. Who's now bearded. <laughs> so Max goes to the salon and finds it upside down with a shite in the middle of the floor and thinks that they've been robbed. Max calls David as he starts to tidy up and then he spots racist Kelly asleep in the corner of the room. She's all cut to fuck and Max still thinks the place was robbed, but she admits she destroyed it in a jealous, racist temper about Max and Sabrina. So she and Max tidy the place up as best they can and Max promises to cover for her. Why? So, I don't know. Sending her on her onto her shift at Roy's that she's already late for again. As she leaves, Marie and David arrive and immediately know that something's been going on because nothing's in the same place. And a mirror is shattered. And then Marie notices a smashed mirror and a blue alcopop on the floor that racist Kelly's been drinking because her tongue's blue. Turns out their tidying was pretty shite. So Roy gives racist Kelly another chance uh, once she gets to work, but before she can get started, the cops come in and arrest her for criminal damage. Max is furious at David for grassing racist Kelly up and because he's a fucking idiot, he goes off to the police station to be there for her. I've got to be there for her, he says. You hate this person. You don't like this person. You don't like what she's doing to you. Right. And the situation and the the, uh, predicament that she's putting you in. And you don't want to have a romantic relationship with her. And yet you keep doing things that kind of imply maybe you do want a romantic relationship with her. Exactly. And I mean... I can kind of understand a little bit because it's also, it's like Daisy and Ryan, you know, these two kids went through this really traumatic experience of being groomed together. So I can kind of see how he maybe feels responsible for her well-being, but you've got to get to a point where you realize trying to help this person is hurting you more than it's helping them and you need to distance yourself, Hmm. which comes up in another storyline this week. So the police station, they've all turned out for racist Kelly, but she's just been let off with a caution. Helped, because Dee Dee's there, presumably to help, and Roy's there as Max turns up. Right. And Dee Dee thinks that Max has got an old duffer of a lawyer well, Max doesn't have a lawyer at all. But rather it, than being an old it's, duffer... It's racist, it's racist Kelly who has a lawyer. Oh, yes, racist Kelly's lawyer. Who's just a duty lawyer, right. I guess, because I don't think racist Kelly could afford her. No, Roy is the one who was hiring Dee Dee to take care of her. But the it's a young, hot lawyer that seems to catch Dee Dee's eye when yes. she's expecting the old duffer. Racist Kelly is very grateful. Oh, no, she thinks it would have been better if she'd been locked up. So even then, in this situation where she gets out... <sighs> With a warning 
for criminal damage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How does that happen? She's still ungrateful. Right. And and this is yet another thing that I think they make her say to make us sympathize with her. Like, oh, look at this poor kid who thinks she'd be better off locked up yeah, away from society. But it doesn't work because it just makes her more awful. Yeah, the reason why she wants to be locked up isn't because she feels any remorse or regret for what she did. It's because she's got nowhere else to go because nobody cares for her because she's... Awful. So awful. Uh, back in Nina's roles, Max asks where Racist Kelly is going to live and she tells him she'll sort something and Roy gives her a business card for a B&B and he offers to pay for a couple of nights until she gets back on her feet. It'll be worth it just for the cow to get to work on time for once. Yes. Dee Dee's in the pub later when the sexy young lawyer comes in. His uh-huh. name is Joel and Glenda notices a little bit of electricity in the air right mm. from the start. Then Max and Sabrina uh, are in number eight and Max explains what happened. He says that he's been hanging out with racist Kelly because she got arrested and all that sort of stuff. And Sabrina isn't the least bit interested in all this. Max insists that he doesn't want anything to do with her and that's why he told Sabrina about it. Right, but and why he spent all this time with her trying to get her out of jail because he doesn't want to have anything to do with her. Mm-hmm. But he fails to delete her contact information from his phone and that's as far as we get with that this week <sighs> so frustrating very frustrating and the way that like they're playing it up in the media like it's this huge love triangle it's not a love triangle love triangle requires yeah you said yeah well i'm i'm just repeating it because it really annoys me all these articles and stuff about oh this tragic teenage love triangle in coronation street this week blah 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 Stupid. Hate it. Hate it. Get better PR, Coronation Street. <laughs> that is your real name. I did call it racist love triangle. <laughs> See, so you're part I, of the I problem. You are part, part of, the problem. of the problem. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like we've talked about this one a bit as we've been going through it, but it really just... Some of the issues that Coronation Street's having, some of the reasons why it's not winning NTAs... Mm-hmm. Is no acid attacks or sexual assaults. Something, it's something to do with this. It's the characters that we don't care about involved in storylines that we don't care about. Because they're recycled. When this was a good storyline with, with Max way back in the... Racist days? In, in the racist days of 2022. I, I enjoyed the, the storyline. I, I think I think it went on... Too long. Quite long, but... I. I was with it being quite long because mm. these are the sort of things that don't happen overnight and yeah. they have to take their time with it. And I appreciated that. But but we're dragging this, this end portion of it out for for no real good reason so that a character that, we, that we, like you said, we're kind of warming up to again but still still feels a bit bad feeling that way. Right. Is he going to hook up with a character that we hate? Well... No. Well, what's the? There's no point in that. What, what's the point? And, and especially just since them he's separate got... from a character that we actually like. Yeah, yeah. And who he obviously prefers. I mean, why? It really doesn't make any sense for them to have brought Lauren back. It does not make any sense at all because she's terrible, and nobody likes her. <laughs> Which is not the actress's fault. No, the actress is doing a 
a fine job right. with, with what she's got. And th- th- those moments that she had with Roy a couple of weeks ago yeah. were excellent. Right. But, and if they had... Th- th- there's only so much you can do with a story. Right. And if, yeah, if they had further explored that, and like I said, given her some sort of redemption arc where she confronts this this thing that has happened to her and explores it in a more meaningful way than like a one half-assed line at the end of an episode, it would be interesting. Yeah, Max says that she's not racist anymore. How do we know? No, we don't know. Because she said so once. I don't think she ever did say so. Did she? Maybe. Who knows? But nothing in their actions has seen that. Who cares? <laughs> Let's move on. Our next storyline tonight is You Wanna Bet? <laughs> on Monday, Ed's been up all night and is now loaded with coffee. Michael asks what it's all about, but Ed, as he turns over the newspaper quickly, insists it's all about the bid stuff that's going through. Michael says, what will be, will be. Or, if you prefer, que sera, sera. Edina rolls, Debbie and Ronnie are chatting about the sheer thing and the bid thing. Debbie reminds him that she knew this was a sure thing from the off, which she did. She she did. She, mm-hmm. she stuck to her guns with us, and she was right. He admits to confessing all to Ed about the shares, but she insists there's no proof that anyone did anything wrong, so everyone can just relax for fuck's sake. Later, we still don't know if Ed made a bet last week, but he's eating a crisp butty, so take a guess. Hmm. The state agent calls with news of the sale. Turns out that they won the bid, but on Ronnie's suggestion, they pretend to Debbie that they didn't. What a great idea. Yes, that's that's funny. Every time the show does it. <laughs> Ronnie reveals that they didn't even have to pay over the odds, and Ed has booked the bistro to celebrate. In the bistro, after celebrations, Ed laments about how much Aggie is spending away from the house between her and her aunt, which isn't a euphemism. Ed hopes that the project makes him so much money that Ed, that Aggie can go part-time. And later, day drinking doesn't agree with Ed and he heads off for a nap. They have a lot on their plates for the next few days. Privately, Ronnie is relieved that Ed didn't go too ballistic about the share stuff, but Debbie reckons that the big pile of profit probably smoothed that over. Yeah, Either way, Ronnie wants to repay Ed and has plans to add him and add his name to the company accounts. <sighs> After all Ronnie- that... Ronnie. After all that hullabaloo last week about Michael sharing this emotional thing that they keep Ed away from the accounts and they're, you know, stashing money away just in case he starts gambling again. After all of that, Ronnie says, you know what? He deserves a second chance. Yeah. What the hell, man? Do you know, I don't care if your arms are gorgeous. <laughs> this is stupid. Do you know, Abby really helped us out the other day, didn't she? Let's repair by buying her a big bag of cocaine. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, this is just such nonsense. So dumb. While we're talking about storylines that we don't really care for, it's not that I don't care for the storyline. It's just that I don't want to see it. No. I don't, I don't want to see Ed gambling again. No. There's a storyline that's going on in classic Coronation Street at the moment. One of the more famous storylines of the time where Tracy has slipped Roy a uh, Mickey, got him into bed to win a bet, and she's going to pretend that she's pregnant with his baby to extort money out of him. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
I hate that storyline. Yeah. I hate watching it. I hate hearing about it. It's as bad as it sounds. Maybe even a little bit worse because there's parts of the show that are playing it for laughs a little bit. And it's kind of... Is it... Is it... And it's as icky as another storyline that's icky that we hate that they are playing for laughs. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So... It's not that that storyline isn't well done and well acted or anything. Just You just don't want to see it. No. And I kind of feel this way about Ed and his, and his gambling. Right, yeah. Because, like, when they were introduced to the show, it was inferred that it was gambling that had them lose all their money and have to move to shitty Coronation Street from their big, massive house. Well, it was implied. But yeah. I don't think it was even applied. Implied, I think it was said outright. Right. Yes. But we never had to see it. No. We never had to see him gamble all the money away and break Aggie's heart. I don't want to see it now. No. It's been a number of years since they've been on the street. Can't we think of a storyline for the Baileys that don't deal with racism or something they've already gone through? Mm. Well, as you said, it was off screen, so maybe they think it's fair game. Mm. On Wednesday, Ed's Michael is complaining about the door on the wall that won't open because at least the cupboard under the stairs at Ken's house. <laughs> Ed hasn't got time for this. He's working on the costings for his new project. Meanwhile, Aggie's still off looking after an aunt again. Not a euphemism. Or is it? Later, Ed is trying to fix the door so he can hide underneath Ken's stairs. Ronnie announces that the shared dividend should be landing in their account or whatever any day, and he gives Ed a card for the account in the name of transparency. After all, I did this thing with the money that I shouldn't have, therefore, here's a lot of money that you now have access to. Right, so that you can do something you shouldn't have. Ed looks like he rather wouldn't, but says nothing. So Ed's on his own sometime later, and he's on the Vogel when a horse racing site ad pops up. Mm -hmm. Not just any horse racing site, though. Australian horse rating site so that's well, exciting isn't it Helen? it's very exciting he hesitantly clicks on a link and spies his bank card when Ronnie comes in and spoils the moment Ed to his credit tries to come clean here to Ronnie about what happened and how he's feeling but Ronnie's too distracted by his phone and arranges to meet at the pub later Ed's finger hovers over the mouse pad but we don't actually see him click anything at the pub, Ed and Ronnie are chatting with Dev, but Ed seems rather preoccupied with the lights and noises coming from the puggy, which Bernie has just emptied. Belter. Thursday, Ronnie comes round to confirm that the money has landed. Ed asks for it to be put in his personal account, not the company one. Uh-oh. Is that what happened? I... I don't know. I'm not sure what happened. Something happened with the money. And in the roles, Michael tells Ronnie that he's nipper... Nipper... I've written nipper napper. Isn't that funny? <laughs> it is. His nipper snapper money has arrived, and rather than be happy about this, he thinks this means that he just becomes Stephen's lackey again. Ronnie tells him to follow his dad's example and put that money to good use and bet it on a horse. No, and secure his own future. In the rovers, Ronnie and Ed are talking about sitting down to have a wee. Healthier for the prostate, apparently. And Michael, there's a German word for it, because of course there is. <laughs> Tinkle sitting or something. Pissing. Michael comes along to tell Listen, Ronnie I've been watching a lot of uh, YouTube videos about uh, Japan uh -huh. and apparently it's big in Japan as well Yeah, it's just uh, pleasant for the next person who's going to be using the bathroom Absolutely. if it's not covered in piss this is true Michael, not that that can't happen with sitting down 
Michael comes along to tell Ronnie that he wants to invest his nipper-snapper money into Eddie Ron, and Ronnie thinks that this is a splendid idea. So Ed is going to not only bankrupt his brother, he's going to bankrupt his son. Well. Delightful. Is he? Because we haven't seen him bet. No. But we've... And I'm thinking that he hasn't. But I'm thinking he's going to once that money is in his personal account. Why would he not show us? Well, he wants it in his personal account so Aggie can see it. I think that's why he wants it in the personal account or in the family account. I thought it was so Ronnie can't see him gambling it away. Oh, maybe. Who knows? But we haven't seen him actually gamble. We haven't seen him win anything or lose anything. No. Why would they not show us him clicking that mouse or making that bet? Right. Are they not showing us it because he's doing it? Well, that doesn't seem to make very much sense. That they're, it's he like does, they're, they're teasing us that he's right. doing this. So he does the payoff, take a long time to get to the rovers. So the it payoff, is commented that he, he takes a long time to get there. Right, so that's to make you suspicious. So does right. the payoff come from, well, your suspicions were right? Or does the payoff come from, actually, let's pull the rug away from under you and your suspicions are wrong? Hmm. And I think the way that they're telling it really should point to the fact that he isn't gambling at all but then if he isn't gambling that quickly becomes a non-story it's 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 sarah's baby all over again well and i wouldn't be upset at that let's let's pretend oh it's ed gambling when we know that he's not or we suspect he's not mm. or i suspect he's not but then and he then, is and then it's all then it's all resolved mm. and we get on with our lives and Right. Go do something else. Maybe. Like start an Emmerdale podcast or something. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know. I really don't want him to gamble. I hate the idea of it. Yeah, me too. I think the the idea of, of how this has happened by Ronnie's, let's just call stupidity. Mm-hmm. Which pays it, off. It isn't, isn't a satisfying way for this to happen either. And yeah, and it's kind of not satisfying that Ronnie's stupidity paid off. I would have much rather they lost all their money because of Ronnie. Right. And then Ronnie has to figure out a way to repay Ed. Moving on, the next storyline tonight is Improbable Proposal. Just on Monday here. Oh no, Monday and Wednesday. <sighs> At the courthouse, Gemma has left for work super early to impress her new employers. Ches worries about the security of her position, but Bernie thinks Henry will see her right. This new job has taken the pressure off, says Chesney, so now we know exactly what's going to happen. Yes. Henry's having a drink with Gemma at the Rape Hotel. She's dressed like a serving wench from a bodice ripper or something. <laughs> this is... That's her professional look, don't you know? I was like, why is she dressed like somebody out of Wuthering Heights here? She's not dressed like somebody out of Wuthering Heights. She's dressed like somebody out of a, out of a Dickens novel. That's where the serving wenches are. There are no serving wenches in Wuthering Heights. I looked up Wuthering Heights images and somebody in those images looked like Gemma. (laughs) So get it right up you. (laughs) This is supposed to be a business meeting, but the person they're meeting is running late, so Henry suggests getting the cocktails in. An hour later and the other party still hasn't shown up, so Henry has to come clean. There is no meeting. He's been fired from Newton and Ridley by the new buyers, but they give him 
They've given him a decent severance package. Yes, he's gotten a golden parachute. Gemma is gutted because this means she's going to lose her job. Brilliant, she says. And it gets worse because he still wants to get into her pants after all. Yeah. He gets down on one knee and quotes Shakespeare to her, but she doesn't want his bits and bobs. He promises the life she always dreamed of. But Gemma doesn't want anything that Henry has to offer. She wants Chesney, the ginger one. Henry is gutted. Who smells of onions. Henry is gutted and more than a little confused. Chesney fulfills everything that Gemma counts as important, even if he does footer with himself during the evening news. And she leaves in a huff. Back home, Chesney is so angry at Henry that he wants to hit himself in the face with a brick. <laughs> he admits that Henry can offer more than he can. Gemma, though, likes the smell of kebabs and onions and men who dress like Thunderbird characters. How are they going to manage without her money, though? And Ches suggests that she tries to get her job back at the Rovers. So Gemma goes to the Rovers to tell him about Henry losing his job and therefore losing her job, and she asks for her shifts back, but Jenny tells her that the others have snapped him up. Fucking hell, Sean. Gemma doesn't think this is fair given how she's the reason the sale for the Rovers went through, but this isn't Jenny's pub anymore and there's nothing much that she can right. do about it. And apparently Jenny didn't know about that part. Right. Because at first she's like, Did what you? the hell are you talking about? And then Daisy has to say yes, well, actually. <laughs> so in the pub, Gemma, Chesney and Bernie lament Gemma's loss of two jobs in as many hours. She goes off to take care of the quads, which allows Chesney and Bernie to chat about how this blow could send her over the edge mentally on Wednesday at the quad house Bernie is secretly on the phone to Garth while Chesney and Gemma complain about their lack of money Gemma's desperate to get back into the workforce since being metaphorically fucked by Henry so heads to the precinct to do some door to door Gemma goes to the kebab shop and she sniffs Dave's arse for some reason while (laughs) he's having a chin wag with Chesney about slicing onions with love wouldn't you if you had the opportunity to sniff Dev's ass, wouldn't you sniff Dev's ass? Why would you pass up that opportunity? So, talk me through the scenario then. <laughs> so, Dev's standing in front of me with yes. his back to me. Yes. And it's I, just right there. I have the opportunity of sniffing Dev's ass and he he knows or he doesn't know. Well, if his back is turned to you... At least initially, he wouldn't know. I mean, I think he might sense your presence. Exactly. If someone's the stiff mass, I think I'd sense it. Well, you don't always. Interesting. (laughs) If if he wouldn't notice, I mean, it would be rude not to give it a quick sniff, wouldn't it? Mm. What do you think Dev's ass smells like? I think Dave's ass smells of vanilla pods <laughs> and courage and napalm. Napalm? Well, it depends if you catch him on a good morning or not. <laughs> right, because you know, I do love the smell of napalm in the morning. Well, Gemma has did a you, quick did, sniff of it anyway. Did you? Did you ever dream in a million years when we started this podcast that at some point we'd imagine what Dev's ass smells like? I'm just surprised it took 270 episodes. (laughs) 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 I mean, of Mice and Ken, I think, talked about it after episode three, didn't they? God, I miss them. That's not, you can't download those episodes anymore, they're gone. 
Yeah, it's like what you did with our other two episode, our other two podcasts. Yeah. Oh well. So <sighs> Gemma has a good sniff of Dev's arse while he's having a chinwag with Chesney about slicing onions with love. Gemma wants her old job back. She's literally tried everywhere else, but Dev tells her to go fuck herself. He's overstaffed as it is. Chesney says we are. <laughs> Gemma thinks Dev is on glue, which he absolutely is, because during this scene, he says Chesney san. Yes. Which is Japanese. Right. And he well, also... Calls uh, him grasshopper. Which is Chinese. He's mixing all of his martial arts together. He's a mixed mar- He is a mixed martial artist. Much yeah. like... Much like Chuck. Chuck Morris. Yes. In the Rovers, Bernie's chat with Gemma, who's still out of luck job-wise. Jenny offers her some cover shifts while she's away getting her hole in Paris with Stephen. And Gemma bites Boo. her hand off. Bernard goes round to see Shelley and divvy up the money that she's raised from selling the laptops for Big Garth when Paul arrives unannounced. Paul seems to be doing okay, but Shelley's looking like she's not having a good day and maybe doesn't have all that long left. Right. Bernie says that she was just in the area and wanted to check in on Shelley, and Paul has made up that his mom is such a decent human being. At the quad house, Gemma's still worried about money. Chesney says it'll be alright, and he warns her not to worry too much. She says everything is under control in that regard. And that's as far as we get with that this week. <sighs> Which is good because it's kind of, it's kind of, um, Gemma's not depressed anymore. Gemma was depressed for, for a moment. week and isn't depressed anymore. Right, yes. But, however, they have money problems again. Because the job that was supposed to solve all their problems is now gone. I think... I think it may have complained every once in a while about the poverty porn for Gemma and Chesney storylines. Mm-hmm. I may have mentioned it. I may have mentioned how much it sucks and is stupid and I hate it. So why do they keep doing it? It's like Gemma is a character that can't be allowed to know what it's like to have money. Right. Ever. Or happiness because she wants to be married to Chesney <laughs> and she's poor. Chesney's response to this is always things will work themselves out right and also he wants to punch somebody or help himself in the face of a brick yeah well he is somebody i mean out of all the storylines this week i didn't hate this i i like i like the whole bernie and shelley thing i think that's a good use of that character yes yes in, a, in, in something that's very believable for her to be doing mm-hmm you know, it's like we're kind of getting back to the sassy Bernie that we had in the beginning. Right. Only not quite as ridiculous because she's not selling pee. Yeah, that was a low point. Yeah. Yeah, that part of it is, is working for me. And the bit, that odd we seen, that odd we ass sniffing scene <laughs> in the kebab shop. I mean, that was, that part of it aside, it was, it was still pretty funny because it was revealed that to, to do the rota, all Dev does is write Chesney's name down right. over and over again. Right. And yet they're overstaffed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, well, Bernie still works there every now and again, doesn't does she? she? I think she does. Does she? I thought maybe there, there was a conflict of interest because she's bonking the boss. But here's another thing. I mean, while, uh, while this was one of my, my more favourite storylines this week, this would seem to be Henry done now. Yeah. So we've brought this character back. We've given him a couple of episodes, and then that's him 
yeah. done again. The fact that he was still wanting to get into Gemma's pants was kind of predictable, I guess. But the did the, you see Daisy's did the, you see Daisy's look yes. when Gemma said that? Yes, it was hilarious. It was it, it was, was hilarious. like we must focus on Daisy's face now as she is incredulous that anyone wants to get into Gemma's pants because Gemma is gross and poor. Well, no, I think it was just the way that she described it that kind of a bit uncouth. Hmm. But um, there was there was a vaguely interesting little potential there of Henry's quite a fun character. Yeah. He never remembers Chesney's name. That's funny. Right. Um, we, we he's know not that, the only character that does that, though. We know that he really wants to get into Gemma's pants, and that's kind of amusing, I guess, on, on some level. Right. The fact that he had Gemma working as a, a PA when she's kind of really unqualified to do so had some comedy potential. Right, we well. never really got to see her do her job. And we didn't. And Which is have, ridiculous. It could have been stretched out for a little bit longer. So I'm a, lot, a little bit disappointed in, in that regard, even though this was, like I said, one of the, the better storylines this week. And I think it's weird that he was let go. You, you'd think his dad would have... I mean, his dad's a dick. But you'd think he would have had some sort of clause where they have to keep Henry on. I don't think his dad really cared that much about him one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't even tell him he was going to do it. No. But you'd think that, that this new company who's bought this would want somebody who has been really involved in the day-to-day workings of the company to stay on. They get rid of these people during buyouts. You keep them on for a little while just to understand what they do and then get somebody in to do it better. Yeah, but they never even really do that no they got rid of them on day two here i think right so, yeah that was that all right moving on to canadian psycho in paris on monday nina rolls Audrey's having a cup and a tea cake with stephen audrey has offered stephen room and board at grassmere drive but stephen tells her that he's moving in at the pub Audrey thinks jenny is a far better companion than tim's mum right she does she does kind of imply that he's moving a little too quickly but he's like no 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 it's all above board i'm staying in the b&b part yeah it's it's not it's not like that mum and then over audrey comes in to coo over jenny and her new relationship with stephen who she hears jenny is taking him away for a dirty weekend or the weekend dirty daisy catches wind of this and thinks jenny is mad paying to take stephen on holiday Jenny shouldn't make any relationship decisions without consulting Daisy first, because she, she's typically right. Yeah. She says that she should be taking more care with her nest egg. Pfft, says Jenny, who is keen to make hay while the sun shines and get her whole. And, and I don't understand why. Once again, I am asking, what is the appeal with this weird looking man from Ohio? He's a sexy man. He's not. And the rovers later, Jenny reveals that she's going to take Stephen to Gay Paris. In the background, but not like that. Daisy vomits in her mouth a wee bit. Jenny, though, is on cloud nine and calls Stephen her boyfriend. And Daisy thinks this is moving way too fast. And that's as far as we get with that this week. So, again, just a little bit to remind us that this is a thing. And no, really, this is a thing. And they're moving far too fast. Yeah. And poor Jenny, because, you know, he's going to get caught eventually. Well, they've got to move fast, right? Because he doesn't have a lot of time left. No, he's like Paul. For different reasons. Yes. Yeah. Oh well. Moving on then. 
Our next storyline is Dick and Dom. Shouldn't it be Ant and Dick? No, because his name's Dom and Stu is a dick. <laughs> That's how that works. On Wednesday. Stu is not necessary. Stu, Stu kind of redeems himself a little bit this week, I thought. You, you'll need to point out that bit to me. On Wednesday, Anina rolls Stu is down in the dumps. He's missing his Jasmine for her advice about Eliza and her dad. Eliza wants to spend all her waking time with her dad, and this is making Stu fucking furious. He takes Eliza to a birthday party in another storyline and chooses the middle of the bistro to have a chat with her. He tells her that, that he's okay with her seeing her dad tomorrow and suggests that they go and see her mum in prison. Eliza is happy about both suggestions. Stu is happy. I do not care about any of this. On Thursday, Eliza is boring Stu titless with chat about Dom and his love of Marvel movies, which Stu thinks are too violent. Suck my balls, says Eliza. Right. And also, please point out to me the parts that are too violent in a Marvel movie. Well, they're all, it's all violent, isn't it? PG-13 violence, though. It's Come on. still violence, and that's Stu's point. Mm. And Eliza's point is it's PG-13, so... Suck my clearly, balls, you're clearly old man. Team Eliza here. Later, Eliza comes home from school, and boy, is she in a foul mood, and she no longer wants to go and see Dom. Turns out that she perioded in PE, and it went all over her shorts, and it was embarrassing. Stu tells her not to worry, and gives her a hug. Maybe a little bit too pleased at these developments, though. Alia's home as Stu comes back from the shorts with a wonderful selection of feminine products. Eliza isn't pleased that Stu has told the whole street that she's menstruating. He hasn't. He's he's talked to one person, a stranger, asking for advice on which period products to buy. Totally ripping off that one episode of Baymax on Disney+. Plus. Stu said the word flow, and I think that's what finally did it for Eliza. She doesn't want to hear her granddad say that. It's the 21st century. Oh, sorry. That's the way that the writer thinks a 10-year-old girl would behave when her granddad said that. Is she only 10? Isn't she? She's the same age as Sam. Sam's 10, isn't he? Or is he 11? He was 10. He's not 10 anymore. Well, we're all 10. He was 10 when he was introduced to the show two years ago. All right. Okay, maybe she's 12 or 13 then. Yeah. I mean... Tens of it young. Girls, girls are maturing a lot faster than they used to, thanks to all the hormones they put in milk. But yeah, ten is ten is still kind of young. Right. Anyway, when did you start your period? Uh, oh, it was uh, it was an idyllic Friday afternoon. <laughs> it wasn't idyllic. No, it was, and then it became not idyllic. <laughs> Uh, I thought it was very sweet of Stu and how he's he's trying very hard to be supportive of her, you know, both saying, you know, I'm sorry, you can see your dad as much as you like and let's go see your mom. And also, I'm going to be supportive and, and give you some and go out and buy these products for you, even though I'm an old man and it clearly would make me uncomfortable to do so. You're the only man I've ever met who's not uncomfortable buying tampons. I quite like having a a random basket <laughs> at the, the store where it'll be half a pound of cheese, tampons, 
and some sticky tape. <laughs> so, uh, could you have three weirder items together? My boyfriend in college was the same way. He'd buy like peanut butter and tampons. Right. Peanut butter, tampons, and jumper cables. <laughs> right. We kind of used to do that in college a lot anyway. Like we'd go to Walmart at like three o'clock in the morning and try to find the most random things to buy just to make the cashier's night. It's always good just buying a single Brussels sprout. <laughs> I can recommend that. Yes. So Stu says he was only trying to help. I'm right here, says Alia. Stu sighs. Alia sighs. I sigh. You sigh. We all sigh. Right. And Alia does say to to Eliza, look, this is something that happens to half the planet. Right. It's okay. Nobody cares. It, it's not something to be embarrassed about. Right. Later, Stu's sorry about the Tampax stuff and offers to make Eliza dinner, but she insists that she'll be eating at Dom's. It's just that he's late and she can't get a hold of him. And she's kind of forgiven off Stu and she apologises as well. But Dom hasn't showed up and it's left to Stu to be disappointed in the Marvel movie. Eliza gets a text from Dom saying that his car broke down and that's why he didn't show up. <laughs> Eliza falls for it. Dom says he'll take her out for breakfast tomorrow and I don't really care. And that's as far as that goes this week. And we get Stu confessing that he cried at Toy Story 3. At the wrong bit. He cried at the wrong bit. He cried at the bit when the toys got handed over to the, the wee lassie from Toy Story 4. Don't get me started. The bit that he should have cried at is when all the toys are about to go in the incinerator right, and they hold each other's hands. Right. That's the bit that and you cry at. they're about ready to die. That's where you cry. You can cry at both parts, let's be honest. After you've cried at the first part, you've no tears left to cry at the second part. And then, of course, there's the moment in Toy Story 2 where... where um, Jesse has her montage where she's left on a box on the side of the road. Yeah. That always makes me cry. Yeah. Oh, shut up. What what Marvel movie did they watch? Do they say? It was Captain Marvel's Marvelous Pants. She does have Marvelous Two. Pants. <laughs> yeah. This is this is the new characters we don't care about thing happening again. At least Eliza is not as awful as she was. She's still quite snotty. Right. And and also it, it kind of feels like we're 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 moving back to a better stew. Like he's still like concerned about how much time she's spending with Dom, but it feels like that's kind of understandable because because none of them really know Dom still. No. They really don't know him. And the little bit of time that they've spent with him, he has said or done things that makes everybody uncomfortable about him just taking off with this kid. There are red flags, a go-go, certainly. Yes, yes. So, Stu is right to be a bit anxious. It's understandable that he's a bit anxious, just dropping his granddaughter off with a rando. He is, but his method in dealing with us is to shout at her. Right. He doesn't really do that this week, though. He doesn't. And that's good. He and buys he knows, her tampons instead. He knows about the just the terrible excuse here of that your car broke down. And, well, if your car broke down, why didn't you phone? Right, yeah. It doesn't make sense. And Eliza's no. too young and stupid to realize that she's been fed a line here. She does. It, it's also, I think, just a little bit of willful ignorance on her part as well. Yeah, probably. Nice to see Alia again. Yes. 
And she also has leather pants. I wonder if she and Sarah go shopping for leather products together. What about Maria's pants? Trousers? I didn't really see them. Because she, she had, was behind a counter. She had cyan, those like PVC trousers on when she was cleaning up the the salon. And she said that uh, somebody's spilt brown hair dye all over the place. It looks like a dirty protest. And she's standing there with her marigolds on that look like she's been handling shite. Right. And, Sh- bloody shite at that. And these, uh, and these light blue... Maybe plastic trousers. And then David has a go at her about her marigolds and asks if she wears them for a carry. Yeah, this has been great things to talk about while we're talking about that storyline. <laughs> anyway, our penultimate storyline this week is Addy of Love. And again, and again, why did these characters have to come back from the Caribbean? Ugh. Because we hate the storyline. Yeah, on Thursday, outside Dev's shop, Courtney is back from wherever the fuck she was and wants her hole off of Addy while Darren is meeting with Dev. Right, and is talking about it and getting far too close to him in broad daylight on the street where he lives. Talking about her bikini, how it's practically non-existent and right, yeah. stuff. Addy should be at that meeting too, though, and this puts her nose out of joint. Amy comes along and briefly winds Addy up about all this, saying that the two of them aren't being very subtle, which they're not. The meeting is held. Where's the meeting held? In the bistro. Oh, of course it's held at the bistro. And the chat is around Addy's love life while Courtney sends Addy sexy pics of herself to make him more uncomfortable. In the bistro, Courtney comes along to the meeting as Dev and Darren are moderately pushed, so no one notices when she starts feeling Addy up in the middle of the restaurant. Amy, though, does notice and wonders if he's trying to get called out. The meeting continues as Dev and Darren get more and more drunk. Courtney asks for Addy's help at the bar and she apologises for sending the sexy photo earlier and she calls him an impressive young man and there's no punchline. Addy thinks Courtney should be the one running the business here, not Darren, and this opinion is based on her ability to quote Oscar Wilde that one time she did that. Right. And that's as far as we get yeah. with that this week. And the fact that she allows him to have sex with her. Right. Yeah. This I, I so really gross. can't stand her. I really can't. I at can't. all. No, no, no. Once again, an awful character. Mm-hmm. At, and her husband is an awful character. They're both awful people. Mm-hmm. They're both awful people. And she's making Addie awful. And I hate that. And also, this storyline is still kind of being played for laughs. And I hate that too. Mm-hmm. Because if it was Amy. Or Asha, or Summer, and it was Darren going after them. Right, we'd all recognize that it's gross and disturbing and grooming, but because it's Addie, it's played for laughs. And you go, you go, guy, and wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and it's just you're, it's you're gross. Luck, you lucky wee bastard. Right? Yeah. No, that's not what's happening here. It it's just. I hate that I, I hate that they thought this was a good storyline to do. So the way they do her up as well, the character is yeah, so they make her look exaggerated like, and they inflatable her, and Yeah, she looks like a Kardashian. Right. And that's never a good look. I don't know. I mean some people maybe think that that's sexy the, the definition of attractive and but it just 
So garish. Right. And slutty. They make her look slutty. As if, you know, the little bit of va 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 makes it okay. You know, like she's very Jessica Rabbit here, you know? Mm. Yeah. For the kids, Jessica Rabbit was a sexy animated lady in a movie where there were live action characters interacting with animated characters. There's nobody young listening to this, Helen. <laughs> There's nobody young listening to this. It, it's, I mean, our kids know an awful lot of the pop culture of the past. But even they sometimes shock me in the things they don't know. Like when the Crusades happened. Which is a weird argument we got into last night. But anyway. (laughs) Sorry I missed it. Yeah, you went to bed. That was the 1300s, wasn't it? No, it was earlier than that. 10, 18 to like 12 something. It was well before Martin Luther nailed the 99 Theses to the to the door oh, of the um, cathedral, though. I have no interest in having that And that was the point. Again. Our final storyline tonight is recovery, schmickovery. <laughs> and again, I mean, sake of repeating ourselves, I have a feeling we're going to repeat ourselves here. Yes, because the show keeps repeating itself. On Monday, it's Ruby's birthday. Is she and Hope are starting back at school? Granny Junkie Cassie wants to throw a birthday celebration for Ruby or at least decorate the house and buy some crisps. Evelyn, who seems to be back in Tyrone's good graces now, has her doubts about all this, but His offers doubts. up the cash. No, Evelyn. Evelyn oh, okay. has her doubts. I thought Evelyn's we were talking about Tyrone still. Yeah, well, Evelyn's, Evelyn's we cannot assume about Evelyn's pronouns. Yes, we can. At the garage, Cassie is still going on about Ruby's birthday. Abby announces that it's Jack's birthday tomorrow and offers to have a joint celebration at, guess where, Helen? The Bistro. The Bistro. Cassie and Tyrone approve of the idea, so that takes care of that. Privately, Ty thanks Kev for agreeing to give Cassie some hours. Kev doesn't have a fucking clue what he's talking about. Kev does not give a shit. Later at the garage, Cassie has been making the teas and starts to brush up. But as she does so, Dean, the drug dealer, shows up wanting his money again, which has gone up from £50 to £70. And he wants a down payment today, or he'll give her a slap. Cassie tells him to fuck off, but not before Abby spots him, and she pretends to play dumb, but she knows exactly who he is and she thinks he's there to see her. Privately, she gives him a call to tell him to fuck off, but he says, no, you fuck off, and then he hangs up on her. The question is... Why does she is, still have his phone number? Why does she have his number? Why wouldn't she have deleted that now, ages ago? Everyone has everyone's number. Yeah. But he's a not even dealer. close to being a regular character. No. There's no reason to have a non-regular or at least recurring character's Unless you want to buy drugs from him. Yeah, let me just speed dial one. Oh, yeah, it's still Dean, my drug dealer. Why would you do that? No, why? And why would he answer? (laughs) Because he looks at it, he knows it's her, so he still has her saved in his phone as well. I don't know, is it just good customer service? And in the roles, Tyrone and Evelyn are chatting about Cassie and the birthday party and how it'll be shared with Jack at the bistro tomorrow. Evelyn doesn't want to derail anything and is unsure about going back to the bistro after what happened the last thing. Tyrone admits that he knows Evelyn was just trying to protect him and says it'll be nice to have her back home. Evelyn would like that, but thinks she and Cassie need some space still. 
back at the garage, Abby and Kev announce that they're going to go off for dinner, but Abby doubles back and finds Cassie going through the petty cash. Cassie is made of apologies, but Abby isn't buying it. Cassie tries to turn it on Abby and her trust issues, but Abby reveals that she knows Dean and wants to see whatever she bought off of him. You think I'd buy drugs at my workplace? asks Cassie. Absolutely, says Abby. Right. And then Tyrone and Evelyn show up and Cassie begs Abby to keep Stum. And after some consideration, Abby doesn't keep does indeed keep Stum as Cassie pretends to be Why? an upstanding member of the workforce. Why? Why yeah. would you do that? Why? Why? Just to prolong this storyline to its inevitable conclusion <laughs> this week? Back home at Tyrone's, Abby is in full holier-than-now mode, demanding that Cassie hands over the drugs that she bought, but Cassie insists that she hasn't got any, and their dealings with Dean are only to repay what she owes him. Abby believes that Cassie is trying, but urges her to try harder. And she makes a couple for them both, and the two of them, who are the same person, let's remember, bond over chat about where they county. Cassie wants to go back to work, but Abby wants to resolve the Dean situation first, and so she gets on the phone. So Abby and Cassie meet Dean in the gunnel and Abby warns him off saying that if she sees him again she'll be on the blow to the cops and she'll spill all the capers that he's been involved in like Nick and Tommy O's convertible. Dean calls them a pair of rotters and slinks away just like a real drug dealer would do. Mm. So Abby and Cassie chat about their triumph and they briefly winch. Abby tells Cassie that she needs to come clean with Tyrone about the struggles that she's having. Now that would be a storyline. Let's share a look. He needs to know the whole story and Tyrone will be understanding, she says. Plus, if she doesn't tell him, Abby might need to. So Cassie agrees. So later at home, Cassie tries to tell Tyrone, but she's interrupted when Evelyn and the girls come in and everyone enthuses about how proud they are for Cassie staying clean. Even Evelyn, sort of. So the moment passes. On Wednesday, everyone's running late at Tyrone's house, but the writers take the time for Cassie to advise Hope and Ruby to brush their teeth to save the expense that she suffered fixing hers. Right, because of all the mess. <laughs> right. So this is the show drawing attention to the fact that Claire Sweeney has perfect teeth and is portraying a drug addict, right. and those two things don't go together. No. Cassie goes on to big up the scale of the party, which ends up making Ruby thinking that she's getting a brand new pair of expensive boots. Uh-oh. And in the roles, Cassie and Abby are chatting about Dean, Abby making sure that Dean hasn't caused any more bother, and asks if Cassie has told Tyrone about her struggles. Cassie says she hasn't found a good time to do that yet, and Abby appreciates this because she hasn't been able to find a good time to grasp Cassie up about the petty cash. Capiche? Mm -hmm. Cassie capiches. This is sort of overheard by Michael. In the pub later, Cassie is complaining about not being able to get Ruby's boots and this is all her fault in her big mouth. Tyrone doesn't have time to go to the shops because he's so busy at work so Cassie says that she can easily take time off on her second day and go pick up those boots if Tyrone gives her the money. She promises not to use Ruby's present money to get high so Tyrone gives her a wad of notes. Right. And later still, Evelyn finds Tyrone still in the pub despite him supposedly being busy. Right, and at work. She's keen to know where Cassie is, and when Tyrone explains, Evelyn is instantly suspicious, especially when she learns that he gave her 80 quid, and she orders Tyrone to phone her and get her back to work, but he doesn't want to do that. He has faith in her, but as soon as Evelyn nips off for a shite, Ty's on the phone. And sure enough, Cassie isn't in town buying boots. She's hanging around in an alleyway, meeting up with Dean, who sells her a ruby boots worth amount of drugs, which Cassie takes sobbing as she does so. 
Right. Yes. And and apparently Dean is okay with selling her more drugs, even though he she still owes him money for old drugs. <laughs> the first time. The first time. Yeah. Just like a drug dealer would. Right. Yes. Good good business model there, Dean. Five stars. <laughs> would buy again. Right. Yes. He's got an excellent Yelp <laughs> rating. The bistro is all made up for Ruby and Jack's birthday party. Tyrone is curious that Cassie hasn't shown up yet. And Nick has grown a full beard, so that's exciting, isn't it, Helen? Yes, and and we finally get to see Jake again. Jake? Jack. Jack. Jack and his one leg. Jack and his one leg. Dancing like no one's watching. Right. <laughs> I'm dancing on my fake leg here. And, you know, I've gotten very skinny and tall in, you know, in the weeks that I've inexplicably been invisible on the show, like all the other children. That's one of those growths spurts that you hear so much about these days <laughs> so there's dancing at the bistro and it looks like it might catch on meanwhile sam is talking to toy about getting some couples counseling with hope are they back together again no yeah that's what i thought i'm like why do you need couples counseling when I mean, you guys are not a couple anymore and you're like 12 10 yes <laughs> They're still no saying of Cassie, but Michael arrives and they can't wait to spill the beans about Cassie being in hospital the other day after her running with Dean. That was last week. And was it Michael who who actually did buy expensive boots for Ruby? No. Because Ruby does get boots. Does she? Yeah. And I thought Michael was the one who gave them to her. And I was like, this is an odd oh, turn of events. Ruby wasn't paying attention. Tyrone has no idea who Dean is and Abby is furious that a drug addict hasn't done something that she promised to do. Twice. Right. Yes, yes, Abby. Well done for believing a drug addict when you yourself were once a drug addict. Later, dancing has intensified. Abby admits to Tyrone that she caught Cassie with her hand in the petty cash. Kev is furious about this, and Ty is shocked. Evelyn noticeably isn't. Abby, Ty, and Hope, for some reason, head off to find Cassie. And it's Hope that finds her slumped up against a wall in the alleyway thing, unconscious. Looking dead. Dad, she's dead, says Hope. Yay! No, she's not, says Abby. Boo! And she instructs Ty to call an ambulance and hope to run to the medical centre for help. Ty calls the ambulance, explaining that his mum has overdosed and she's a junkie, but her teeth are smashing. We'll be there as quick as we can. So and, which is obviously not very quick, because Hope is able to run to the medical centre, find Dr. Gaddis, explain to Dr. Gaddis what's going on, and bring Dr. Gaddis back, and the ambulance still hasn't shown up. Right. So Gaddis appears with an injection to offset the muck. Narcan. Tyrone seems to think this is a great thing for Hope to stand around and watch right. until Abby sends them both on their way. Insert gif of Michael Jackson eating popcorn here. <laughs> Abby goes to Tyrone's to tell him that Cassie is in Weather General and she created a fuss getting there so don't hold your breath that she's going to stay. Ty beats himself up for giving her the money. Addict's gonna addict, says Abby, and she leaves him to it. Right, yes, and none of them think, wait a second, we left Ruby at the bistro. <laughs> Poor Ruby. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the, and I, I feel... Nobody goes back to Ruby's party. Nobody. And Jax. Yeah. Abby, Abby forgets her stepson, and Tyrone forgets his daughter. Lord of the Flies at the Bistro with a bearded Nick as sole supervisor. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the Bistro, Elon catches wind of what's happened from a bearded Nick of all people. 
So in the hospital, Cassie is in a foul mood after her overdose has worn off, and as soon as she comes round, she ignores the doctor's advice, grabs her clothes, and leaves. However, I think we were led to believe that she'd come round prior to that. Anyway. Meanwhile, Evelyn is back at Tyrone's, and he explains how horrific the scene was. Evelyn seems to be the only one concerned with Hope, who saw all of this, and she thinks she needs to know that Nana's on the muck, but Ty is very much against this. He also knows that Evelyn knew this would happen and beats himself up for not listening to her. Mm -hmm. Then Cassie calls Tyrone, who already has his number and his phone, as mum. <laughs> would you? No. The next At least week? he doesn't have a picture of her. She has a picture of him in yeah. her phone already. Creepy as fuck, man. Later, Cassie comes home claiming to have been discharged. Evelyn knows that she's done a runner. Cassie knows that she messed up, but she wants to make it up to Tyrone. Tyrone, though, has the girls to think about and tells Cassie to bolt, Evelyn reminding her that there's a perfectly good dingy flat at the precinct that's had a lick of paint recently. Fine, snaps Cassie, and she goes off to pack and pick up anything of value that isn't nailed down. Tyrone worries how Evelyn is going to cope with Cassie at the flat, but Evelyn's like, oh, I'm not doing any of that. She has no intention of being there this time. The only person who can help Cassie is Cassie. Right! Tyrone still doesn't seem to believe that Evelyn knows what she's talking about here. So Cassie goes to leave. Tyrone is worried that she'll be on her own, but Evelyn is in no mood to back down. Don't let the door hit your arse on the way out. Tyrone, once again, astonished that Evelyn will not go and monitor her daughter again 24-7, which has never worked in the past. So Evelyn is about to head to bed when Hope comes down to see what the score is with Granny Cass. Ty tries to tiptoe around it, but Hope knows that her granny is a junkie, and they finally talk about what happened today. She's not Ruby. <laughs> yeah, Hope asks if Cassie will ever go off the muck. Evelyn doesn't know, and Tyrone is annoyed by this honesty and says that he hopes so. Back at the precinct flat, Cassie gets a visitor. It's Abby. Tyrone has asked her to leave her own kid for the foreseeable and monitor Cassie so that she doesn't score again. Cassie is either thrilled that Tyrone still cares for her or excited at the prospect of getting fucking wasted with Abby. On Thursday, Cassie's up and looking worse for wear, going through detox, so not in the mood for Abby's cheeriness. Cassie thinks Abby has a saviour complex, which she absolutely does. Abby suggests going to a meeting with her later, reckoning it's the only way to get clean. Meanwhile at home, Tyrone is furious because Hope has eaten the last pork pie. Hint, that's not really what Tyrone is furious about. Evelyn is sorry that he's having to pick up where she failed, given that he has more to lose and more to worry about, and no pork pie. Ty goes to the flat to see the lay of the land here. Best he can do is pay the rent on this place, which I think he already owns the salon flat still, where he and Alina lived, and the house that he's living in with Fizz, and now he's paying rent on a third establishment. No, I think, doesn't, no, Ed owns that now. Ed owns that now because remember that that's that turned into the young people's flat and they paid rent to Ed. No, that's that's another flat. The young person flat is the flat where Toya used to live with Imran. Right, and that then became, it, but that's not the that's not that flat. It is. It isn't. That's not the flat that Tyrone shared with Alina. It isn't because it didn't have that because little. Because then he lived with them and it was weird. Not in that flat, he didn't. He lived with Amy and and all the young people and it was weird. No, he lived with Alina oh, with, and Emma and, and 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 Craig and Faye probably in the other flat. It's so confusing. Uh, anyway, Abby thinks it's a matter of time before Cassie goes back in the muck, and of course she overhears this. 
She's apologetic and says how much her new family means to her and has agreed to go to Abby's stupid group and she wants Tyrone to go too. And Abby's like, this is news to me that you're going to come. Tyrone's confused because he's not a junkie. At the group not held at the bistro, Tyrone comes along to the group with Cassie and Abby while Dave gets things started. Abby's keen to get some stuff off her chest so she goes first. And she drones on for ages, and then Cassie takes her turn and explains how she recently fell off the wagon, even though she knew the consequences would be devastating, but drugs are the only constant in her life. She's scared of rejection because Evelyn rejected her, and kicked her out when she was a teenager, forcing her into prostitution to survive. And Tyrone is fucking furious to hear how heartless his grand was. And haven't we gone through this already, where she says to Tyrone that... You know, Evelyn is the devil and has done all these horrible things to her. And that's why she started to do drugs. Mm -hmm. When the reason why Evelyn kicked her out is because she was doing drugs and her dad was dying. Right. Back at the flat, Abby warns Ty privately that Cassie's story probably isn't as black and white as it seems. But when Cassie says that it was her pimp that she moved to South Africa with, Tyrone blames Evelyn for all of this and goes off to give her a piece of his mind. He'd never treat hope like this. Well, give it to him. (laughs) Abby and Cassie chase after him. Turns out Evelyn doesn't know about the prostitution stuff and Abby thinks this isn't Tyrone's story to tell. Back home, Tyrone is still angry until Abby reminds him that he's known his mum for, what, five minutes and he's kicked her out already. Tyrone says that he can handle all this from here but Abby says no good can come from him blabbing to Evelyn. Again, this isn't his story to tell. Tyrone, who has just agreed to pay for the precinct flat, now insists that Cassie moves back in with him and presumably Evelyn has to move back out. So Tyrone asks Cassie to move back right, in. Yeah. You've OD'd on my, on my daughter's birthday and my other daughter saw this horrific thing and I really want to protect my daughters yesterday. But today, now that I've heard that you had to go into sex work to survive and supposedly your mean, nasty mom kicked you out for no reason when you were 16, now all of a sudden... My kids are not my priority. My job's not my priority. You're my priority. It's like, haven't we done this already? (laughs) Haven't we done this where Cassie says something that immediately makes Tyrone suspicious and angry at Evelyn without hearing Evelyn's side of the story? Haven't we done this already? Why are we going back here? So later, Evelyn gets home and learns about the new development about Cassie moving back in. And she's obviously pissed off about this and wonders what's changed since this morning. She badgers Cassie to know what was said, but somehow knows it's all going to be her fault. She's never heard Cassie uh, be so quiet. Whatever it was, it was a lie, she says. And she gives this new arrangement a week. Later, though, Tyrone says that he doesn't know how Evelyn can give up on her own daughter. And Evelyn reminds him of the weeks that she spent with Cassie getting her clean. The noise wakes up Hope, so Evelyn announces that she'll be going back to the flat. And Tyrone thinks that that's for the best. And surprised, Evelyn goes on to pack. And that's how we end this week's episodes. If I were Evelyn, I would say, fuck y'all. And move into Rice. Which is the closest that she's come to doing that. Yeah. But here's the thing. I don't believe anything that Cassie's saying. No, of course not. And the, the reason for that is that this whole thing about going to the group is only sparked because she hears Tyrone right. say that you know she's probably going to go go back in the muck again. Right. She's uh, and she's a danger to my kids. All that sort of stuff. Yeah. 
once she hears this, she decides that she's going to go to the group, but she insists on Tyrone going along. Right. Yeah, so she knows Tyrone, exactly what she's doing. So Tyrone can hear this story that she can right. con- that she can concoct. Now maybe it is true, but maybe she did turn to prostitution. Whether or even sex work f- forced her to do this, right? I, 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 I doubt. She does freak out when it seems like Tyrone is going to confront Evelyn about the sex work. Right. So you know, so either she knows that she's lying. Or she's really embarrassed by this and she'll she'll never she'll never redeem herself in the eyes of her mother if she even cares about that. There's this weird part of this where Abby is talking to Tyrone and she says, you know, well maybe she went into sex work and Tyrone flips out at her and says, you know, call it what it is. It's prostitution. Mm-hmm. And all this other stuff. And it just felt, it felt gross, you know, because it, of, of all of the things, of all of the things that a certain part of society has been pushing back on and not wanting to accept the change of and stuff, whether it's pronouns or gendered speak or, you know, being cis and all this other stuff. I thought the one thing everybody could agree on is that we should, that prostitution is not a great word and we should call it what it is. But everybody knows what it is. Everybody knows what prostitution is. Right. But sex work could be, well, does that mean that she was a porn star? Well, no, because that's not sex work. Isn't it? Not really. Why not? Because it's staged. Still sex. Eh, sometimes. But, you know, just the fact that we should we should maybe step away from condemning people for choosing to go into sex work because people who go into sex work, the majority of the time, it's something they choose to do. It's not this horrific thing that they're forced to do sort of thing and it just it it felt like a weird thing for tyrone to freak out about you know and and he's like horrified by this and he seems sympathetic to his mom but he's also seems to be really grossed out by the fact that she was doing sex work Mm -hmm. for whatever reason and it just it felt off i mean don't get me wrong this whole storyline feels off because we've already seen all of this happen already and can we please stop pretending that tyrone is really really stupid he's a bit thick but he's not that dumb yeah especially when it comes to his children yeah they're painting them very stupid here and the fact that his mother has had sex with men that she doesn't really know shouldn't come as much of a surprise to him because she doesn't know who his dad is right so this seems like a strange hill for him to die on. Right. And he seems especially horrified that his dad might have been somebody who paid to have sex with his mom. Mm-hmm. And it's like, really, that's that's the hill you're going to die on here. Yeah. It's a, I don't know. I can. I think being a kind of similar age to the Tyrone character, I guess, he's a bit younger than me. He is. But. Yeah, I think prostitution is just a word that you you know what it means. And 
and rightly or wrongly, I mean, I can I can see how the the term sex worker is a bit less accusatory, maybe. There's something quite biblical about the word prostitution as right, well. Right, yeah. But anyway, I don't think any of this happened. I, don't, I, think, I think Cassie has made up the lion's share of this mm-hmm. to, to again do the thing that she seems to be there to do, which is to get into Tyrone's good books and to make sure that her mother is not in Tyrone's good books. That seems right. to be her absolute raison d'etre. Yeah. And we should not expect a character who lies all the time to suddenly tell the truth simply because they're at a meeting. Right, yeah. Yeah, No. I mean, it's fair enough, you know. It's just... It makes so little sense for them, for Tyrone to have had this horrific experience and allowed Hope to have this horrific experience. Oh, and he was so... And again, this was a very un-Tyrone thing to do. Just stand there. And stare. And let Hope stand there and stare. Right. And Abby has to say to him a couple of times to get him to snap out of this. Right. When everything that we know about Tyrone should be his... Kids are his priorities. The thing that he's going to be focusing on here is Hope. Right, yeah. He shouldn't be there in the first place. Sometimes to his detriment. Absolutely. So suddenly he's not doing that. And doesn't even think about the damage that it might be doing... To hope yeah. to see that and right yeah it's, yeah it, and it's, it's evelyn who has to say to him is hope okay it, and then he's like yeah no sure she's fine she's a very strong young woman she's mm-hmm. so strong but not strong enough to be told what cassie is right yeah even though she's seen her right. on the street passed out and, and here's dr gaddis explain what narcan does mm-hmm. <laughs> would you rather that hope watch this happen with no idea of what's going on or would you rather explain what's going on so at least she knows why this has happened yeah and don't do drugs kids don't do drugs kids yeah and again i keep on coming back to this point this because like when it looked like cassie's lying out there dead i'm like so, so what you knew it was going to happen sooner or later. Mm-hmm. And we saw her take the drugs and then kick some things as if she was somebody from Ohio. <laughs> Pretend it to be Canadian. And then fall into a gunnel. The whole crying her eyes out as she's yeah. skipping down the drugs again. I'm like, I, I don't know you enough to care what no. you're doing here. And I don't know you enough to believe that you're actually sad that you're doing this to yourself. Mm-hmm. Because nothing else, nothing else implies to me that she wants to get clean that she feels bad about this no no nothing except her crying while she's doing drugs this whole thing if she cared she wouldn't do the drugs this whole thing i think at the moment is purely a vehicle for cassie to make tyrone hate evelyn that's all this is about this is not about even what tyrone thinks about her so long as Tyrone hates Evelyn. Right. Well, that's what I said last that, that's, week. That's all that she cares about. Her her whole reason for being here is because she wants to hurt her mother. Because she's mad at her mother who keeps trying to get her clean. So good good luck to you trying to make us care about this character right. who wants to hurt 
our favorite character. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which is very much the reason why we we would never warm up to Lauren, even if she wasn't as horrible as she is. Cassie, it's the same thing. Even if she attempted a redemption arc, which is never going to happen. Oh, it'll happen. It, I don't I'm think sure it'll happen. I don't think it will. I don't think Cassie? it will. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think the show recognizes that they're kind of doing Abby all over again. And I think oh, Abby recognizes that they're doing Abby all over again. And I think that they want us to think that she will eventually get clean, but I think they're going to try to pull the rug out of from under us. I have, and she dies instead. I have no faith that the show recognizes that. I mean, somebody over there listens to us, don't they? <laughs> I don't think I don't think it matters. But they only listen to the, the, us the, this is like, for the fun things, like like Ronnie's apples and sniffing Dave's ass. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. And Tyrone's MSU T-shirt. I don't know that they recognize that this feels like a repeat. And even if they did, I don't think they care. No. No. It's just, it's just, what can we recycle this week? I mean, I guess it's nice that they care about climate change, but this is not the way. Yeah, it was just a tough week. There was just so little that was grabbing my attention. And there was some, there were some good scenes, don't get me wrong. And there was some, there were some bits that uh, made me laugh and, and gave me a little bit of a shock. But for the most part, it was just, I, I don't know what they're wanting me to feel here because they're not making it easy. That was the week that was Coronation Street. I wanted to talk about the dancing at the bistro a little bit more, but, you know, my heart's not in it. No. So, we talked about the hard debate at the start out of all the storylines that are currently ongoing in Coronation Street, how many of them are capturing your interest at the moment. This was the most voted for poll that I think has ever been on our At Corey Podcast Twitter. More than 500 votes, I think, for this, which is... Because no jokes. No jokes. All of them, most of them, some of them, or none of them. All of them was 2.1%. Most of them was 4.7%. Some of them was 37.2%. And none of them was 55.9%. Yeah. Open your eyes, Coronation Street. I don't know how representative that is. And I would say that at least some of the people that said none of them like some of them. But the people that expressed a preference of the storylines that they are engaged in it's all Stephen. It was the one that's coming up time and time again. People like the Stephen storyline. It's the one thing that they're they're holding on to. And I feel kind of that way myself. All right. What was your moment of the week? I honestly don't know. What was your moment of the week? Uh, I, I, I experienced no joy this week. Was it Gemma sniffing Dev's ass? <laughs> Living the dream. I mean that I like I did like that scene. It was a weird scene, but I did like it. <laughs> and and Dev calling calling Chesney Grasshopper. And then Chesney San. Yeah. I liked that a little bit. It was it was a rare moment of light for me. I'm just trying to think if there was anything anything better. I did like I did like um Max and Sabrina being deplorable together in front of Gav. That was fun. I did like Ken and Deirdre being so annoyed at Tracy that they kicked her out. But that was in classic, Corey. Mm. 
I don't know. It kind of feels like to do sniffing Dev's ass right after Ronnie's apples is kind of defeating the purpose of a moment of the week. <laughs> right, and it's putting feminism back. <laughs> is it though? No. Feminism's doing that all by itself. Oh. It's the second wave all over again, Gav. <laughs> right. That's one of my favorite lines from Bottoms, I have to say. Everybody, go watch Bottoms instead of Coronation Street this week. Oh, it's such a good movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, Max and Sabrina being cute together. I like that an awful lot. And that doesn't really put feminism back. Yeah, I'm, I can go with that. All right. Yeah. That's a moment of the week. Uh, moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. Everything else. <laughs> you can't say that. We're not. It's we've true. Got be, we've got to be specific here. Um... Do you know, for me, it's just Courtney's awful chat about her stupid fucking bikini. It just it annoyed me greatly. It, it's it's just, it's not very creative, is it? It feels like something somebody in a soap opera in the 1980s yep. would have said, you know? It feels like it, it's And a, it feels like a throwback character as well. It, it feels like it's a penthouse letter. Remember when I had all that porn at the at the auction? No, oh, yeah. a good day at work. Yeah, lots of penthouse letters there. Uh yeah, that's that that works. That's it. Boring moment of Boring the week. moment of the week. Now, over the past few weeks, we've been scoring uh, these episodes. So this week, out of ten, two, <laughs> two, you're um, typically higher than me. And you typically score it higher than me as well. Um, I was thinking four. I think it was a four. I don't think it was. I don't think it was as bad as I was making out. It was. It was. But there, there wasn't an awful lot to. It was terrible. To cheer from me, so I think I'm going to give it a four. You're sticking with your two. I'm sticking with my two. All right. And you know, part of that is just being angry at at Coulson and <laughs> and Ben. So you did it this week. And and Jack for scoring fire in the sky. So so poorly. Coulson gave Pitch Perfect 5, which I don't think I can ever forgive him Coulson for. Coulson couldn't spot a good movie if it hit him in the <laughs> arse. Really this episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast, Daisy, French Helen, Pickles and DT. You know who had the DTs this week? It was Cassie. <laughs> if you've ever... Sniffed Dev's ass. <laughs> if, if you've ever sniffed Dev's ass, we're... Tell us if it really does smell like vanilla pods. And courage. <laughs> we're the talk of the street gmail.com and we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and threads. You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of woggle.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice, why don't you? And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, the list of lists thanks for making it to the end of another episode and we will be back next week with more talk of the street talk of the street bye Cheerio.